Drawn and Paneled is the comic book showcase podcast from Gen X Grown Up. Every Wednesday, we bring you news, reviews, interviews, insight, and commentary on the comic books we love from the golden age to the modern age. We love to hear from our podcast listeners, so write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And if you enjoy what we do, please take a moment to support us by becoming one of our patrons at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. Welcome back, Drawn and Paneled podcast listener to episode 26 of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. With me as always today is Rachel. Hello. And sitting in for John this week is Mo from Gen X Grown Up. Mo, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I mean, John's a slacker, but hey, I'm here. Absolutely. We get the bonus plan with having you here since John decided to slack <laughs> off. <laughs> In today's podcast, we take a look at comic books in the classroom, a high-profile comic book auction, and a new book from Boom Studios. But first, we have some listener email. Yay, listener email. (laughs) Today's listener email comes from Will B. Will B is a longtime friend of the show and listener, and he writes in to say, Hi, guys. Just wanted to drop you a line to say that the show has been great and to wish Jason well in his future endeavors. So, as we all know, Jason left the podcast a couple of weeks ago and we wish him well and everything that he's going to be doing and so does Will. He's dead to me. Are you kidding? (laughs) (laughs) Will goes on to say, I've really enjoyed his comic reviews on the Gen X Grown Up website and wish I had said so earlier. So maybe Jason quit because Will didn't tell him how wonderful his reviews were. It's It's Will's fault. There we go. (laughs) He goes on to ask, will the comic book reviews continue on the website? Uh, I don't think Jason is going to continue continue doing them, at least not right now in the short term. He's getting everything organized for his educational opportunities and some other hobbies that he wants to do. We may start to do some between Rachel, myself, maybe John, if we can coax him into it. Mo reads comic books occasionally. He might want to throw one up there once in a while, but we don't have any plans for those right now. Uh, He goes on to say, Jason always brought a lot of in-depth comic knowledge to the show and he'll be missed. Oh yeah. He definitely will. I feel like I'm an idiot already. Yeah. (laughs) But he goes on and says, with that said, Rachel has already shown herself to be a great addition to the show in her first episode. And I look forward to hearing more from her. That was super awesome. That was super awesome to hear, by the way. (laughs) Right. Very first episode. Somebody already loves what you do. That's awesome. I know. I was like to my friends, look, look. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, geez. Now she's going to get this big head. She's going to be a big star. Leave us behind. Going to be insufferable. was going to happen anyway. That's why we That's kept true. trying to make her an unpaid intern for so long. But we just we ran out of bodies to throw it drawn and paneled. We didn't have a choice. Will finishes up by saying, "Also, George, what's wrong with Blade Runner twenty forty nine? That comes from the last episode where uh, I think you, Rachel, and Jason mm-hmm. were saying how you guys liked twenty forty nine, and I really wasn't a big fan of that one. So. Yeah, that that I don't understand why you didn't like that movie, but I just didn't yeah, really enjoy uh, it. It didn't have the same feel to me. I don't know why. I'll go back and watch it again because apparently I'm in such a minority here that I must be wrong. So I'll go back and watch it again. You are definitely wrong. Uh, Will says he finishes up the original film is one of my favorites of all time and I was shocked at how good the follow up was I'm planning on picking up the new comic to see how it meshes with the movies in any case Mm. keep up the good work so apparently I wasn't even aware that there's a Blade Runner 2049 comic book or maybe a new Blade Runner altogether comic book coming out Uh, there's a Blade Runner comic book actually Uh, I saw that on Comixology wow I haven't haven't had to read them yet but I was definitely looking forward to that I mean I know there was one the original movie adaptation comic book they did back in 
the day when like the film first stories. came out. Yeah, wow. new stories. Okay, that'll be fun. We'll have to get some of those to review on the show at some point. If you want to hear your email read on the air, just like Will Bees was, drop us a line at podcast at drawnandpanel.com. And now it's time to go on with the show. Good luck, Bruce. That's Selena Kyle, the Catwoman without her costume. I know her, but she doesn't know me. Don't you know that you're a grown up? Hey there, Drawn and Panel podcast listener. I want to take just a second to tell you about something you didn't know you were missing. I'm John, and along with Mo, hey everybody, and George, hey, how's it going, guys? We are Gen X Grown Up. Gen X Grown Up is a website, YouTube channel, and audio podcast by and for Generation Xers, kids of the late 70s and early 80s who may have grown older but have refused to grow up. Every week on our podcast, we cover media, games, tech, toys, comics, games, and pop culture of yesterday and today through the eyes of guys who grew up loving that stuff. And every other week, we do a backtrack where we pick a single nostalgic topic from our youth and dig in deep. You can find us anywhere you listen to your podcasts or find us right on our website at genxgrownup.com. If you're a Generation Xer or know someone who is, I hope you'll check out Gen X Grown Up. Your dinner cannot just be french fries. Basically, life sucks as a grown up. All right, so let's get into comic book news. Fair enough. What do you got for us? Because I didn't look up anything. (laughs) Well, I did. So we're good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So first, I found something really cool about a math teacher who I know this is going to sound hokey, but made comics to get kids into math. Well, okay. So he created his own comic books and then brought them into class to teach the kids math? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. It's called the Solution Squad. The guy's name is... Is Jim McLean. That's the teacher's name, or? Yep, that's the teacher's the character's name. Because I thought it was like John McLean's illegitimate math teaching brother or something. I wasn't that sure. That would be really if this cool. This was going to be a new Die yeah. Hard comic book. And it's. It- <laughs> And it reads like comics, same thing, but all the heroes have math as math concepts as their powers. Like there's Absolution who can raise or lower temperatures. There's a guy called oh, Radical. Yeah, he can that's see super it. cool. Yeah. And the best part is to get them to actually do some math. He makes it so the heroes talk to each other in prime number code so the villains can't understand it. And there's a workbook <laughs> in the back that if they finish the um, the work, they get the code key and can decode the messages. Oh. Um, Oh, now that's just too awesome. That wow. is a smart way to bring a difficult subject to people who are not terribly interested in it in the first place. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I always hated math, so I would have loved this. I mean, I I enjoyed math when I was in school. I'd taken a lot of the, the larger subjects at an early point in my school career. Like, I think I finished calculus in the eighth grade, I think it was. Nerd. But, uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, we are. <laughs> <laughs> but to do something like that, to incorporate an entire classroom, not just one or two kids who really like math. That's a very smart thing. And that's why we really should appreciate our teachers. This is not just about comic books in this segment, although I know our whole podcast is all about comic books, but we really need to appreciate our teachers here in this country a hell of a lot more than we do. And stuff like this is exactly why. I mean, look at what he did to go out of his way to teach those kids a very important subject. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nobody paid him to do this, obviously. You know, he's a yeah, teacher. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. He had to foot the bill all himself, right? Yep, oh, yeah. As far as I know. And it looks like it's catching on too. like other schools are adopting it into their curriculum, oh, which 
that's awesome. Good really for him. neat. Yeah. It's very good. I hope somebody gives him some money behind that. We need to, you know, like somebody in that area, wherever he's at, the school district needs to give him some kind of financial award because now his product is helping other people in other classrooms. That's just crazy. That's awesome. This is going to sound really weird, but I really kind of want to read one of these. I know. I, I know. do too. <laughs> Rachel, you need to get us some contact information. Maybe we can bring one of these books on the show and review it. That would be fun. I would love to do that. That'd be awesome. Well, that's on you. You got work to do. I will write it down. (laughs) (laughs) Well, while you're writing that down, I want to talk a little bit about some other numbers that you found out. There was apparently a gigantic rare comic book auction that happened last week. And this guy, it was one of these people that a whole bunch of books were stashed in an attic. Nobody really understood or knew what he had until after he passed Mm -hmm. away. And then all of his books ended up going up for crazy auction prices, deservedly so because of the rarity of some of the books, right? Yep. He had over 500 from the Silver Age, which was 1956 to 1970. Wow. Ooh, 500 Silver Age books. And were, were they in good condition? I'm guessing so since the prices I, were I saw so some high. pictures. They were in decent condition. I mean, they weren't pristine, but an X-Men number one right. is going to be expensive no matter what. <laughs> there was an yeah. X-Men number one? Yeah, he had X-Men number one, which sold for 1,600 pounds. He had wow. the first appearance of Daredevil, which sold for 540. Wow. And then he had the uh, first appearance in the Fantastic Four of the Puppet Master. He had um, the first appearance of Green Goblin, which sold for 380. And that's wow. just the ones I could find that they put in the article. I have no idea how much his daughter made on all of it. Oh, so his daughter brought him to auction then? Yeah, because when he died, he's like, oh, I have comics in the attic. Go sell those. And she's like, oh, it's probably one or two. And they open this cupboard and there's over 500. Wow. So he told her that after he died? That's kind right of a feat in itself. Why is that not the main story? Before he, he died, okay. <laughs> his ghost popped up out of the ground and directed her to the comics like Stranger Things style with the lights. <laughs> Right. Yeah. From the upside down, he came back and brought some comic books with him. Now, that's really cool. I mean, like 1,600 pounds. I don't know. That's got to be close to 2,000 American dollars, I think, at this yeah, point. Yeah, maybe I think more, so. Maybe less. Actually, that's a I pretty mean, good price for that, isn't it? For mm-hmm. extra number one, I imagine it'd be higher, but that's someone got a good deal, I think. I think because it, it, wasn't, it wasn't perfect, so... Yeah, I mean, X-Men number one is a rare book, but it's not ultra rare. It's not like, you know, a Honus Wagner baseball card, which right. like only, you know, 50 of them were ever printed and only like five of them exist still and it goes for millions. It's not that rare, but it's rare enough that you don't see them come up in your local comic book shop that often. I think I've seen X-Men number one twice in my lifetime, once at a convention and once at a comic book shop. Nice. But it was, I think even then, and this was several years ago, it was thousands of dollars. Oh, so, yeah, for yeah. sure. I think Mo's right. They must have got a deal on that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was up for public auction on this website. They had in the article and they had like, it was like a couple weeks, I think the auction ran just to get through everything. Wow. Yeah. I wish I'd have known about it earlier. I'd have probably thrown a bit out there to myself. I'd have gotten in trouble with the wife, but you know, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> now, Mo, you said at the beginning of the show that John was being lazy, but I think he might've gone out and found some news for us to talk about, but then you stole it from him. Oh, I totally did. Totally stole this from John. Uh, but I figured since he's not here, you know, the heck with it. I'm going to read the right. article and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it? Okay. So this is pretty interesting. Um, so Supergirl number 33 and Superman number 14, I guess they just rebooted them since the numbers are so low. <laughs> right. Yep. 
Yeah, they did that a couple of years ago. Uh, okay, so it, it turns out that they put the wrong covers on those comic books, and they're asking the retailers to destroy them, and they're going to send wow. out replacements because that's okay. going to happen. How yeah. do you put? I mean, it's not like they have billions of covers to choose from for these things. I mean, artists sit down and they're told what to draw for a cover, and they draw it. How well, uh, did they get the wrong cover on them? I, I'm Someone's not sure, in big trouble. Yeah, basically, because <laughs> um, all they said was that they. I guess these things were done like so far ahead of time, um, and I guess some of the covers were done before the stories were complete or something on those lines that okay. basically just the covers just didn't match what's in the story, like what's oh, in the comic. Oh, okay. We talked about that last week, Rachel, with the He-Man Superman crossover, how that yeah. was all that book was about. But then the last 15 pages were a story that weren't even in the same universe. And made no sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just love the fact that they were saying, they're asking, oh, hey, retailers, you know, hey, we screwed up and there's this bad cop, you know, wrong cover on this comic book. So, you know, if you could just destroy those, you know. <laughs> That'd be great. We, that would be great. Yeah, we'd really appreciate it. You know, I'm like. That's not going to happen. They're going to take that one and probably put them in the side someplace and sell them. That should be a meme now at the office space guy. That'd be right. great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's, so let's think about this. We just got through talking about that rare book auction that just happened. Do you think that either A, enough people will destroy these covers that the ones that are left will become rare enough that they'll be worth anything or more likely B, that most everybody will still keep them as Mo says in the back office or something and sell them that way. And even though they'll seem rare, they'll actually be very plentiful because nobody really destroyed them in the first place. I think the second option is probably more likely. You know, I yeah. think they'll be worth more than the corrected cover. Sure. Yeah. But not. But I don't th think this is going to be like, you know, the airplane flying upside down on the stamp kind of rare. You know? Well, you know, misprinted covers, usually the reason why they're worth more than regular printed covers is because they are a little bit rare because a few get out and then somebody mm -hmm. discovers right. the error and then they stop the print run and redo it. But those couple, those first few went out. But in this case, it sounds like everything made it to the shops if they're asking shops to destroy them after the fact. Yeah, that's what that's definitely what it sounds like. It didn't specifically say that in the article, but that's what it sounds like to me. Mm -hmm. Huh, man, I you know, that's an interesting thing. I, I'll be keeping an eye on those books just to see what their value does. You know, Key Collector Comics, they're kind of a, a friend of the show and they look at those things as they come out. I'll be keeping an eye on that app to see if those books actually do increase in value over the next few weeks or months. This is the control center for the Danger Room. And down there is the Danger Room itself, where the X-Men train to improve their mutant skills by engaging in simulated combat, provided by a combination of holograms and robotics. Welcome to the Drawn and Paneled Hot Seat Interview. In this part of the show, we sit down with a special creator, writer, artist, or celebrity from the comic book world to find out what makes them tick. Today's guest is Cena Grace, the creator and writer of Ghosted in L.A. from Boom Studios. Cena, how you doing today, buddy? I am. I'm aces. I'm warm, <laughs> but I'm good. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I've been looking forward to doing this interview for quite some time. I've read your first issue last month, and I got a preview copy of issue number two this month and I was so excited to read it. It comes out today on newsstands and comic book shops everywhere as we like to say here at Drawn and Paneled and it's a wonderful book. So appreciative that you could take some time to sit down with us. So I want to start right off. Tell us a little bit about where you were born. Where's home? 
It's very good for branding purposes, uh, promoting a book called Ghosted in LA, because I'm from Los Angeles. I was born and raised uh, in Santa Monica, California, and essentially have lived here my whole life, except uh, for college, where I went to UC Santa Cruz. So kind of only been a California dude my whole life. Tell us a little bit about your comic book history. For sure. I, uh, I, it's, it's, uh, it, I've always wanted to make comic books, and I, I, I started sort of, you know, looking for answers to questions as early as high school and, and was interning at Top Cow Productions when I was uh, in like 10th grade or something. And then, wow. yeah, yeah. And then I'd make, uh, I'd like make zines, self-publish them. I'd sell them at the comic store I was working at. I was very one-track minded. Um, I apprenticed under comic artist Howard Chaikin for like a hot minute. And okay. yeah, just I, I did everything and anything possible to kind of learn and, you know, find my my spot in the in the biz, as it were. And yeah, and then I, I think everything sort of started to coalesce and gel around the time I was working for Robert Kirkman as his editorial director for Skybound Entertainment. So I did that. But at the same time, uh, I was drawing the webcomic Little Depressed Boy and Image Comics had basically picked it up for print uh, in that same era. So then when I, I left Skybound and went full time freelance, uh, that's when kind of I did a bunch of random books at Image that, you know, some took off, some didn't. And, uh, at a, you know, and then after a certain point, I got that Iceman thing and did some other stuff. And, and now I'm and now I'm here just making comics wow. and paying rent. <laughs> <laughs> well, give us just like the brief elevator pitch for Ghosted in L.A. Yes. Well, I know that you, uh, I technically have 30 seconds, but I can do this in like five. It's Melrose <laughs> okay. Place with ghosts. That's it. It's Melrose Place with ghosts. But no, it's it's about a young girl named Daphne who uh, moves from Missoula, Missoula, Montana for her boyfriend. And he promptly dumps her in L.A. And basically friendless and, and kind of without uh, any aim, Daphne ends up finding this apartment complex occupied entirely by spirits, you know, the undead. And right. ends up... <laughs> ends up living there. And it's a, you know, it's a, it's an interesting coming of age story, having an 18 year old girl basically trying to figure out who she is in this world, uh, contrasted with a bunch of people who, for all intents and purposes, like there, there is no life journey. It's just the afterlife journey. Right. Um, and that's, that's going to be a lot of fun. And it's going to have lots of weird kooky twists and turns and mysteries and love triangles. It's every it's everything I, I love about kind of my, uh, you know, go to dishy soap opera type stories. And I finally get to tell it, you know, tell my version of one of those. Absolutely. I mean, and you're telling it great so far in the first two issues I've read. Tell us a little bit about what your inspiration was for the book. I'm from here, Los Angeles. And I've always, I think, especially nowadays, while everyone, not everyone, but while some people can kind of poke at me and, you know, say that it's like, oh, you're writing about your identity and your identity is just like whatever your sexuality. I, I thought a lot about like, well, you know, what else? What else makes me? And L.A., this city makes me. And and I love this city so much. And I remember one of the like marketing dudes at Boom or one of the business guys, can't remember who, but he was just like, oh, we're really excited to see what you have to say being from here. And I was like, I never thought about it that way. But so, you know... Uh, to be to be kind of like poetic about it, I think the sights and sounds of Los Angeles are very inspiring to me. We have so many different um, kind of art industries here, whether it's animation or film and TV production or music, that I just think you're kind of surrounded by troubadours of all sorts uh, right. and, and artists <laughs> everywhere. So 
you know, that's something that, that, that definitely comes in my, my brain box, uh, every step of the way. Um, and then other than that, I think like in terms of comic books, uh, I, I really, I don't know, I like, you know, I think working for Archie comics has sort of crystallized my desire to work with a, a plucky ensemble. Um, and I was a big Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan. So that's oh, kind of my nice. level. Yeah. And that's and that's sort of the kind of like urban fantasy I I like to get into where, you know, there's a bit of a sense of humor about it, but there is a pretty well thought out mythology. I I was super um inspired by how Steven Universe would like low key drop weird little things like as early as the pilot there were you right. know little nuggets that you don't get you don't get rewarded for noticing until like season three you know kind of thing um, right and that was something i really wanted to do with this book because i know boom guaranteed me 12 issues and so i was like okay i got nice. 12 bullets yeah and so you know as a result i kind of get to do some some weird little things that that really don't pay off until you know issue four or issue six or you know later and later can't say but yeah uh, you get to plan it out ahead of time yeah yeah i was inspired by having like lead time too <laughs> <laughs> nice well before we get out of here Cena, we've got one last segment for you it's our four rapid fire questions of death are you ready sir let me take a deep breath yeah i'm ready i'm here okay <laughs> question number one your favorite muppet janet is it Janice or Janet? The little blonde one, the drummer one. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, not the, the band? drummer one. For, what is she? She no, has the best line uh, in Muppets Take Manhattan, though. She's the one. She'll right. take the locker with the jacuzzi. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good one. Question number two, a guilty pleasure you're ashamed to admit to. Hmm, I, I admit to everything. Um, <laughs> I I like, I think I earnestly like this uh, reboot of The Hills, New Beginnings. Um, oh, okay. That's pretty bad. That's a pretty bad thing to admit. Yeah. It's not very good, but <laughs> I don't know. I like watching it. <laughs> that's what a guilty pleasure is all about, though, right? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I wish I could have been like, oh, you know, Dostoevsky's earlier works. I mean. <laughs> that probably wouldn't be a guilty pleasure, though. That's like all classy and everything. I mean, have you read Have you read them? They're quite reductive. I don't know. I don't know what they're like at no. all. <laughs> <laughs> I am not that well read. Neither am I. <laughs> Question number three, your favorite 80s film or TV show? Beetlejuice. Although Beetlejuice oh. is like 1989, right? Or something. That still qualifies. Absolutely. Okay. That's a big part of that era. Yeah. There you go. Beetlejuice. Nice. Final question. A favorite comic book or character that you did not create yourself? Oh, um, so many to choose from. Uh, I'll, I'll just go with my go-to. I really love Neil Gaiman's death. Just mm. what a what a splendid character inside and out. You know, love the love the way she looks, love the way she talks, um, love, love where he kind of got the inspiration for her. So, yeah, death. <laughs> well, it's it's hard to go wrong with Neil Gaiman when you're talking about comic books, right? Exactly. I know. Right. Safe answer. But no, also truth. Also the truth. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get out of here, we'd like to give you just a moment to tell all our podcast listeners where they can find all your creation. Of course. Uh, in, in your imagining. No, uh, <laughs> I like, you know, having this name makes it really easy. Uh, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and it's all at Cena Grace and it's, you know, my name dot com. Uh, typically, that'll that'll get you access to whatever you want to find in terms of what what I do. Um, so yeah, just, just, just at me, follow me, beat me, whatever you want. <laughs> there you go. And podcast listeners will be back right after this. 
I shall destroy everything that lives above. Markgrim's number one son had heard enough. I came on like gangbusters. Who in the name of... If you gotta pin labels on people, Charlie, just call me the ever-loving blue-eyed thing. Welcome back, podcast listener. That interview was with Cena Grace, who created it and wrote the book Ghosted in L.A. We're going to review issue number two right now. This book comes from Boom Studios. Cena Grace wrote the book and Sibohan Keenan was the artist on the book. Siobhan. Siobhan. Oh, see, I got it wrong. I always get those names wrong. It's one of those Irish names. Okay, Siobhan Keenan. (laughs) (laughs) The synopsis goes like this. Daphne settles into her new life as a resident of Rycroft Manor and the unique challenge of living with ghosts. Pros, they don't steal her food. Cons, it's the first date she's been on since Ronnie and her roommates keep popping up all over the place, literally. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's pretty good synopsis. Yeah. Rachel, what did you think of the whole, the way that the female lead is being written in this? I don't know why, but recently I'm just getting more drawn to these strong female lead stories like Life is Strange or Eleven from Stranger Things. I don't know what it is. Just lately, I'm just like so invested in the stories, but I'm curious to know what you think of this book in particular. Uh, Oh, (laughs) that's not a good sound. No, I mean, you're talking about Life is Strange and Stranger Things and those were amazingly written female Mm -hmm. characters and female leads. And this one, she just... I don't know. I mean, I know they're trying to do the whole she uh, doesn't really have her own mind. She doesn't really know what she likes. She's just hopping on to the next thing. But I, I, I was a little bit insulted, I guess. Oh, OK. <laughs> Tell me why. It's just they made her so flat. Like she doesn't have depth. She doesn't really have anything that makes her herself or unique. And even with like Eleven from Stranger Things, who doesn't understand anything, doesn't know what she mm-hmm. likes. She was still her own person. OK. If you know what I mean? And sure. Dad Daphne isn't. Gotcha. Okay. I can, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you on that because number one, I don't have your perspective. So it'd be stupid of me to disagree, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I can kind of see what you're saying. She does kind of come off a little, I don't know, a little wimpy, a little scared. And that's not yeah. necessarily what you want from a stronger female character, but maybe this is just the beginning because I do want to point out, uh, we talked a little bit about it during the interview. He has been guaranteed 12 issues from Boom Studios. So mm-hmm. he may be pacing his character a little bit to develop that story as it goes. Yeah. And I'd be interested to see how she develops, if she develops. Um, I don't know. I just... I'm not sure about the perspective on her. Gotcha. Mo, what do you think about the book? Yeah, I, I, I totally see where Rachel's coming from because it actually, it almost read to me like it, it's a guy trying to write a female character and is not exactly sure how mm, to do it. You know? Okay. Like he's, you know, rather than just writing it as a character, he's like, okay, uh, I guess a woman would do this differently or whatever. Um, Like in this issue, I mean, I didn't, you know, I thought the, the plot point of, oh, she's you know, pining over this guy and da, da, da. and I'm like, you know, I, I've seen that like so many times. Sure. Yeah. That's a pretty common trope. Yeah. I'll give you that. You know, um, although like I said, I think the premise is interesting, you know, and I think that, you know, um, I thought that the spirits, I thought I was kind of hoping they'd be a little bit more like show like, okay, here's how she's going to grow because these people are going to help. These ghosts are going to help mm-hmm. her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, but I really didn't get that. <laughs> I got no. you. Yeah. And like the whole bouncing off the girl falling for the wrong guy and chasing him across the country and wherever. And then they immediately follow that up with some guy comes up to her and calls her a poser, like the stereotypical, yeah. oh, you're wearing that shirt. Do you even like that band? 
And then, <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, oh, this works. Here's my number. What? <laughs> <laughs> that did feel a little weird. That did feel a little foolish. But I, I kind of took it as her being completely unsure of herself. Like she's in a new town. Her boyfriend just broke up with her and everything's in upheaval and she doesn't really know which way to turn. So she's kind of grasping at straws. Now that doesn't play into her being a strong female lead yet. So yeah. I'll give and- you that. But it, it, it doesn't feel completely dishonest to the character. Although I can't say that I would see it happening in real life. I, I don't know yeah. many women in this day and age that would listen to a guy say that and then immediately agree to a date with them right after. And it was kind of wishy-washy because she kind of blows him off, calls mm-hmm. him an idiot, all that. And then it's like, here, you win. Like, I, I don't know. Go one way or the other. That's playing the middle ground makes it feel inauthentic. I definitely have one serious, serious beef with this comic book. Okay. And uh, why is it that nobody could write a character named Maurice that's not a jerk? Yo, I'm a little offended. (laughs) (laughs) Just in case any of our listeners aren't sure, Mo is short for something. I'm not going to say what it's short for. (laughs) Yeah, we're not going to say what it's for. But, (laughs) but, you know, I and and actually that's the thing that kind of got me too is like, um, you know, I have no problem with jerk characters, uh, but you expect to see them more, I guess. And mm-hmm. you actually kind of hardly see them at all in the second episode, a uh, second issue. I think the story has it, it has potential. You know, I'm hoping yeah. that her character develops a lot more. You know, we start seeing, you know, some better, uh, some more interaction. I like to see between the ghosts and her. Mm-hmm. Sure. But, you know, so like I said, I think it's something that, you know, is definitely worth keep reading, though, for sure. Honestly, I think Aggie, the main ghost who runs the house, should have been uh-huh. the main character. If it was about her, Oh, the whole yeah. thing, I would have loved it because she's she has the things that I'm missing in Daphne, which I think might be a reason that they'll kind of mix and they'll learn from each other and all that. Sure. But yeah. She's strong. She's um, apparently went through a divorce and is trying to be independent and get her life back on track. And I, I appreciate that part of it. I liked her section of it. Well, maybe you're viewing two different ends of the same story. Daphne, the person who starts off not being sure of herself or her position or how she relates to any significant other she might have in her life. And then Aggie, who's already lived through all those experiences, good and bad, and has now come out on the other other side as the strong, independent, thoughtful person that she is. We did get to see a little bit of her backstory in issue number two, which I kind of mm-hmm. liked. It reminded me a bit of Firefly where you would have, you know, that ensemble cast. But then during the episode, you would get to see some flashbacks to what informed what the character was doing in that episode. Mm-hmm. And I did like how he played that in in this book. Yeah. And I'm hoping that's what he does that learn from each other and the journey, her journey. Um, that would be really cool to read. Absolutely. Well, talking about another cool book to read. We found another book. This one's from Dark Horse. It's called Berserker Unbound. It's issue number one that just came out. It's written by Jeff Lemire and art done by Mike Diodato, I'm guessing. I don't know. I'm I'm never going to get these names right. So, you know, the artist names, for some reason, they're much more complicated than the writer's names usually. Uh, Synopsis goes like this. A merciless sword and sorcery warrior finds himself blasted through a wormhole to a modern day metropolis where he must protect those around him from an evil wizard determined to send him to hell. Yeah. That. That's nice. more than I got out of the first issue, but <laughs> that's way more I got than what I got out of the first issue. <laughs> but the first issue was pretty interesting. Rachel, what'd you think? I 
I liked that you instantly get into the story. Like you feel for the berserker mm-hmm. right away and you want to see what happens to him. I got kind of a Punisher Netflix version vibe. Like he's grief stricken, but he's too stubborn to actually die. Right. And he's grief stricken because his village and of more importantly, his wife and daughter are murdered while he's away mm-hmm. from the Fairly village. Fairly so. brutally too. Yeah. And that's why I got kind of a Conan out of time feel to it because, mm-hmm. you know, Conan, you know, his village gets destroyed. He's of course a barbarian so it's a little bit closer to the berserker thing um but then the out of time thing because we've seen you know these kind of time travel take something and take it out of its place and put it in a place that it's unfamiliar with and let's see how it develops we've seen that Mm -hmm. story done before and i think that's where they're going with this but more than the berserker i'm really interested to find out what happens about that guy who found him in the park and woke him up yeah (laughs) you know that's not a one-off he's not just there for that one couple of panels there's going to be something with him i like he's like poking him with a stick like Dude, you right. are right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, so we always treat people that are giant with swords and, you know, sleeping yeah. in the park. You poke them with sticks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mo, what did you think about the book so far? Um, number one, I, I love the artwork. Uh, it reminded me a lot, like you said, of Conan, like Frank Frazetta, when he used to do mm-hmm. it way back in the age. I definitely got that Conan, Red Sonja kind of feel from it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I thought the story was a little overdone. Like the whole like, okay, uh, you know, I see, I, I saw a movie Gladiator. He comes home, his family's killed. Now he's going yeah. to get revenge. You know? Um, and it's so not I, an unusual story. We've seen it many times. Yeah. And not not a not very deep story, you know, which again, it's, I understand sometimes it's not necessary, but, you know, I, I thought it'd be a little bit more than that. And then the, also the whole thing of like, you know, taking this guy, developing character and then throwing him into New York, or I assume New York or someplace, you know, a It city. looks like New York. Yeah, yeah it looks like New York. Which also, that's been done a bunch now right. it could be that they do a lot better which is really awesome <laughs> mm-hmm. and but i'm already kind of imagining some of this typical like oh he's gonna have a funny encounter with us in a store or he's gonna have you know i, I i'm kind of yeah. or police are going to come after him you know like all the stuff is going through my head is all the stuff that would normally happen with these exact same stories so i'm hoping that he doesn't meet that expectation and he goes off and does something completely different yeah it'd be nice to see Okay, like I would love to see him go in a more original direction with this, but I'm kind of wondering if he even can. Like, there's only so much room he left himself with the storyline, you know? Yeah. 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 And that this writer, he writes a lot of different stories. So I don't know how much focus he can give to any one of them at any one time because he writes for a lot of different books. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right. The corner may already be painted. It doesn't mean that it's not going to be a beautiful corner, though. That is true. When you're doing like a story that's been done a thousand times, you really have to do something exceptional to make it stand out. Yeah, very true. I actually found a comic for this podcast today. I um it's called Look Shades of Magic. I know, um, right? <laughs> go me. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Shades of Magic, the Steel Prince. It's uh from Titan Comics, written by V.E. Schwab and the art by Andre Olimpieri. Ah, uh-huh, see, you had a hard time too with the artist's <laughs> last name. You're right I knew with it wasn't those just me. artist names. <laughs> All right, so it's in a gas lamp world where magicians navigate alternate Londons. The Prince of Red London pursues a dark version of his beloved city and faces worse than exile. I'm going to say what I liked about the book really quickly because I know this was one that you picked out, Rachel, and I'm sure you're going to wax forever about it. But 
I like the fact that apparently this has a very long backstory. Like there must have been other series in the Shades of Magic world because on the very first interior page, uh, right off the backside of the cover, there was some stuff from the author who talks about she wrote this as one line in a story and it developed but she never got a chance to go back to it. So then she is now getting a chance to come back to the character who's apparently in her current storyline, a king, but this is showing how he was as a prince. And I really appreciated that little blurb. And then the first few, like the first page or two of this book really brought me what I felt up to date in the storyline. Like I didn't feel mm-hmm. like I was missing anything. To tell you truth, I didn't even know this was part of a bigger world. It, and it didn't, it felt like I was coming into a beginning of a new story. So uh, mm-hmm. I guess however they did it, she did a really good, job right yeah definitely i i like the concept of it because we were like we were talking in the last comic how this how it wasn't very original throw a guy into a new world this one feels original to me it feels new i think the story just it just seems interesting to me like yeah okay you got the prince he's off to but it it wasn't like he's necessarily exiled the reason why he's exiled actually kind of made sense sure and and just the little visual things they did like to keep reminding you that you're not in a normal world like the way the horse carriages looked i mean they looked almost aerodynamic right mm-hmm. you know uh very futuristic but they're being drawn by horses you know um and i'm really starting to dig the main character um you know just his you know already i could see like you know he's his opinion in the city is like i want to go in as a commoner to see what people are like you know and yeah. he gets in trouble, obviously. But still, right. though, I was like, <laughs> of course. And, and uh, the, the thing I'm still a little confused on, which I think I'm okay being confused with it right now, is how magic works in this world. Yeah, it it seems very diverse. Like there's some summoning. He does something really cool with his sword and his own blood. And right. I, I want to see that expanded on and explained more. Maybe we would have had to read the prequels or whatever to figure that one out a bit easier. But I'm really hoping they expand on how their magic works. I really like the. Uh, like when the that fight scene with the prince in the alley yeah. and, those people, yep. and how like the, that magic whatever he does with that sword that suddenly like shoots something and gets like three people I mean this that that yeah. that, that frame I really like the way they did it and then I think the, it's his oh, own blood oh is that what it is okay and then he's yeah. also crushing like the guy's like, heart well it looked yeah. like he stabbed the sword into his blood down on the ground and then turned his blood solid and into some kind of projectiles or right. something which uh, yeah whoever did I thought it was cool <laughs> yeah whatever Very he did cool. man it was, yeah. all, it was cool um, so it, is, it definitely seemed like you know, I think it seems like the characters are getting really well flushed out in this and it's uh, you know it's it's a lot of good story and a lot of good visuals so this is definitely one that lends itself well to a comic book yeah the art is dark without being muddy you know yeah. oh yeah yeah you're right about that it's very clean but mm-hmm. it, it just feels ominous and oppressive in some cases right yeah like, I could feel something almost pressing in on my chest as I was reading it. And that's mm-hmm. the that's the great mark of a great story or art, you know, to be able to make you feel something physically. And I was like, damn, this is dark, man. I don't <laughs> should I wait until it's noon to read this. This I should be reading this at night. This is a little scary. This you're like exorcist kind of scary almost. And then when they throw the magic in there, the the panels just brighten up and it makes such a good contrast. Yeah, they pop really well. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. is definitely one I'm definitely looking forward to the next one. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad that you were able to come on the show this time, Mo, so that you could check out that book because it was Rachel's first choice of a book. And I think she knocked it out of the park. I hope that, you know, I can get some more issues of this so we can read it because it came out last October. It's been out for a while. Oh, okay. I think they're up to like issue number eight now. Nice. Ooh, good. So I'm going to see if I can grab a hold of the other six or seven issues that we haven't been able to read yet, just so we can read those. And maybe we'll talk about them on a future episode. And Sounds if great. we do, Mo, you're welcome to come back. Moving at super speed, the Scarlet Speedster crashes into Electro, driving him back against a metal plate in the wall. 
If anything in this episode has piqued your interest, we put links in the show notes you can click on to find out more. Catch up on past shows and be alerted every week when a new one drops by subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts. Also, if you're enjoying what we do, help us keep the lights on by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And we love to hear from our podcast listeners, so please write to us at podcast at drawnandpaneled.com. And that will wrap it up for this issue of the Drawn and Paneled podcast. Before we get out of here, I just want to take a quick moment to thank all our wonderful patrons over at patreon.com slash genxgrownup. And that is you, <gasps> Chad, Mike, Thomas, Levi, Agile, Slow-Mo, Dana, Stubaka, Stian, Will, Greg, Marcus, T2, Corey, and a brand and, new two Patreon. <gasps> yes, a brand new Patreon who joined our ranks right before we started recording this episode, a YouTube channel called Black. Blast it or stash it became a patron of ours. Can you believe that, Mo? We've been doing this thing wow. for two years now, and now we have other YouTube channels supporting us through Patreon. Holy it's all cow. Of me. It's all because of Rachel. <laughs> John did say that, didn't he? He said if Rachel yeah. joins the show, we'll start getting a whole bunch of new patrons. And sure enough, there we go. And they're actually a comic book review channel. They every like Friday or Saturday, they go live on their channel and review books from the previous Wednesday. So they review all the Marvel and DC stuff that they oh, bought okay, okay. in the comic book shop. So they're more and mainstream. <laughs> yeah, they're more mainstream. We're more indie, so it's different audiences a little bit, but no, they do it as awesome. a live stream. Well, we will be back in two weeks with another one of our regular episodes, and next week with our back issue edition, Rachel, hit them with the subject. Howard the Duck meets Kiss. Okay. <laughs> not <laughs> not the movie, Howard right? the Duck gets Kiss and not the movie, yeah, but okay, no. good. Howard the Duck meets the band Kiss. Yeah, yeah. this is going to be a very interesting read. That, that's one way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely looking forward to it. Mo, you're going to be back with us next week to sit in for John, correct? Oh, yeah, because he's so slacking. <laughs> and Rachel, we always appreciate having you here. I love being here. And we will see you guys next time. See you later. Take care, everybody. Gen X Grown Up is a member of the Evergreen Podcast family. Learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com. We're also an affiliate of the Geeks Worldwide Radio Network. You can check them out at thegww.com. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend, and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts.